Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. There's a fair old chance, if you're listening to this podcast, that you might have spent some period of your life inside a dressing room. And if so, you'll be familiar with the cast of characters that gets thrown together to create the emotional makeup of a team. You've got your alpha male fearless leader type, mm-hmm. if it's a men's dressing room. You've got the quiet lad, doesn't say much, but you know he'll get the job done. He doesn't need to say a huge amount. It's going to happen. And then you've got your vibes, man. The guy whose job it is usually self-appointed to bounce into training every day with a smile on his face and spread the enthusiasm around the rest of the team. When it comes to match day, that person plays a game with a bit of joie de vivre. Mm. Like they've, they're actually enjoying what they're doing. It's not always the case that the vibes man or woman is one of the best players, but for the current Munster team, that is how it is. And I couldn't help God. thinking... Sorry, I, sorry, I just presumed you were talking about me. Sorry, I'll continue, please. Sorry, sorry, I was please just on a completely different page there. Vibes sorry. player at Monster is. Like you say, self-appointed vibes man. <laughs> Simon Zebo again. That's who I'm talking about. I thought he was good. Simon Zebo. Well, he will be gone at the end of the season, but he's playing away, Ken, scoring tries for fun. Jesus, Ken. Fair play to him. He's just signed a contract with a foreign team. That's all. I thought he was leaving. Like, Well, apparently Joe Schmidt has a, is on... Ken's wavelength as well. <laughs> ah, he's gone. No, but Joe, he's still in Ireland. It's okay. You can, you can I couldn't help thinking that watching his joy at scoring a try against Leicester on Saturday, they are going to miss this guy, Simon. They've got to talk to you. Murph's just belittling this. Ken doesn't mm. know what's going on. Myself and yourself are going to have a conversation. At all, at all so half an hour in, right, he gets on the end of Ian Keatley's chip through, dots down, scores a try, then proceeds to spend the next minute or so, a couple of minutes, looking like a fella who's just won a competition to be a professional rugby player for a day. Hmm. I don't know if anyone still has those dreams where you're in the middle of a match for your beloved sports team. I had them right right into my 20s anyway. Yeah, I was going to say, probably the first side of 30 gets a little weird. Yeah, well, it's like that person has just arrived in the middle of a... (laughs) Scores a try. He, He does his celebratory dance, literally rubs his hands together with glee, Points, starts pointing at people in the stands, smile painted onto his face long after the try has been scored. And there was only half an hour gone in the game. Now, 15 Simon Zebos in a team might be a bit much. But then again, might not work, no. 15 Peter Manny's 
I think I'd go for 15 Simon Zebos rather than 15 Peter Armandis. Either way. Yeah, at least you're going to enjoy the 15 Simon Zebos lose as opposed to 15 Peter Armandis lose. You need your you need your balance. Uh, I do think I I I did like this shouldn't be news that people enjoy playing top level sport, but it kind of is because so many of them go around with sourpusses on. It's, it's so intense all the time. And then you get a guy, guy like this in a sport that up until about ten years ago seemed to have an unwritten rule that you couldn't celebrate anything. Yeah, and he's now going around acting like a lunatic. I loved it. Well, there's one thing enjoying yourself, but then there's being seen to enjoy yourself, which puts Zebo on another level. I'm sure there's loads of players. We know O'Driscoll and all these guys have written books after us. They did actually enjoy their careers. They just were afraid to say it during it or afraid to show it. And a lot of coaches are obsessive maniacs who don't particularly like seeing somebody enjoy themselves on the pitch because it gives that essence, like a lot of bosses, gives that vibe that you're not actually working hard enough. Plus, modern rugby is for workaholics, essentially. I mean, even the really super talented people like Sean O'Brien have eventually been subsumed and just become these guys who hit rook after rook and do their basic job. We've seen it with lots of wingers, with Flair, who eventually become good at up and unders. Andrew, Andrew Conway is the latest example. You know, just uh, doesn't matter what you start yeah. off good at. Just do the basics and do them over and over and do them really well and keep doing your job. Like, just hit as many rooks as possible, essentially, because rooks control the game now. But uh, Simon Zebo. He doesn't get beaten down by life and he doesn't get beaten down by coaches, which is an essential characteristic, I would say. He kept going post-match, Ken. He tweeted, I don't know if you're following the news last week, that Peter Manley and CJ Stander may be on the way out of Munster, the same as himself. Or maybe they're just leveraging, using mm-hmm. a bit of leverage of, of interest. For on the back teams. of Zebo's departing. On the back of Zebo departing, maybe trying to get a bit more money out of Munster and the IRFU. So he tweeted another news, great performances this week from these two on and off the pitch. And you might explain what's going on here in the little... Oh, I see. So it's um, Peter Romani and who I take to be CJ Stander. CJ Stander, indeed. Um, with lots of little uh, cash bag emojis um, ah. around them. Well, two little crowns on their heads, crown emojis, and then loads of little bags of cash <laughs> all around them, up in the shelves of their lockers, sitting in their lap, on their shoulders and everything. So it looks like uh, they've made a lot of money. Uh, or could be about to. Could be about to make a lot of money, either by staying at home or... Well, I liked your forward. tweet during the game on about uh, Peter Armani pulling rank on Darren Sweetenham for the try. Sweetenham was literally over the line. What are you doing passing that ball, Sweetenham? It's a higher risk thing to do to pass than actually yeah. land on the ground. It's one of those situations where Sweetenham has the ball on the wing, has Peter Armani outside him, not just rowing for the ball, pointing, like, give me the ball, not, not I'm, I'm there, you know, if you need me. Mm. And Sweetenham could have easily just taken that hard line inside. You know when you've got a covering defender and you go as though you're going to... I say this as though I've ever done this. Mm. You see players doing it and you just sh- you pretend like you're going to ship it out and then you just dot that. You just cut inside. Not a- that was the obvious play, but he actually went and did pass to Peter Madden. Sweeten him six foot three, massive, <laughs> yeah. and a finisher. That's his job is to is finish there a, Is there a try scoring, you know, bonus point? You know, the, the, is, is Peter Romani just trying to protect his family here, you know? Mm. Uh, is he just basically stealing his try-score bonus off Darren Sweetenham? Well, there were people joking that it could help contract negotiations that he's now also a try-scoring winger. Mm. You yeah. never know. It could hardly harm the, the whole process, surely. Speaking of good vibes, there are plenty of those going around the Liberty Hall Theatre at the weekend. I'm sure you'll agree. I cannot overstate how much crack we had recording our Gangs All Here end-of-year live shows 2017. We did two of them in a row, a two-night stand. An epic two-night stand. We got to spend some time with some of our beautiful World Service members. We got to talk to some amazing sports people. And we even got to see one of our guests today, Murph, making his acting debut. It wasn't Gordon Darcy. No. 
Uh, Shane Horgan. I'm teeing this up like I'm about to play this for you. I'm not. I'm just. Oh, like, okay. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I just want you to deliver your verdict on Shane's acting skills. Well, in the fair listen, view. you know, I mean, he's a polymath in so many ways. I mean, you sit down for half an hour in Shane Horgan's company. Who knows what topics will come up? The man is a learned, wise man. Is he the greatest actor that Ireland has ever seen? Even with the script in his hand? <laughs> I mean, I, I will say this. I was supposed to be fake playing the tin whistle behind him. And I kind of forgot that, you know, for the second night. I did it the first night. The second night, I kind of, I kind of forgot. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm not in a position of real strength here. No, it wasn't a flawless performance. There were a few flawed performances, but that yeah, it's weird. gave it's, it its character, I It's feel. almost like if we had rehearsed, it might have been better. <laughs> ah, I don't know. I don't, maybe I'm nitpicking, you know. I believe Mayo's Killian O'Connor managed to escape backstage before having to sit through a live rendition of The Fairview. That would have just finished him off altogether I, this year. I did mention it to him and he was not, he didn't rule it out of hand straight away. Yeah, well, I think he was lurking backstage, but that's it. He certainly wowed the crowd while he was out there. Say hello to our listeners, everybody! <laughs> Hey, hey, the gang's all here. We're gonna swing as one. Joe Brawley was speaking. I know Murph doesn't usually allow me to bring up his name, but he, he did. This is, this is indicative of some of the stuff. He said, you've got players like Aidan O'Shea, for example, and Killian O'Connor, who repeatedly are holding the team back from winning in All-Ireland. That's why I say there's an element of a team that are celebrity losers. They, they're quite happy to function in that environment where they're also rants. No, I actually hadn't. I didn't see that. I, 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 I'd assume that would have. No, that's that's actually fine. Yeah, yeah. It was about a week ago. Yeah, yeah. On, on Eamon Dunphy's podcast. To be, I, to be honest, that's probably great that you haven't heard that. Well, I didn't even know he had a podcast. So awkward. I have to say, the look on Kilian O'Connor's face there was not awkward at all. He was like, no. oh, this is hilarious. <laughs> this is actually hilarious. Yeah, US Murph was quite struck by that conversation. Yeah. He was talking to me. US Murph was talking to me. And then on Friday night, he said, I actually said it to Kilian O'Connor as well. He's like, you guys, you guys are hammering him, man. Why were you doing that? And it was like, well, listen, I mean, you I, know, I really, don't worry. Can I really don't feel we were. Our, our no. listeners will be able to decide themselves when they Yeah, they in due course when so they It was a good, intense conversation with... Yeah, did not uh, skirting any of the issues. Uh, still had a really good laugh. Good laugh, yeah. Uh, didn't think it was like that at all. But then US Murph did say, I had to ask Killian at the end of the night as well. <laughs> you know, what the hell is going on here, you know? And uh, Killian O'Connor's uh, uh, reaction to that was, well... It's really no big deal. <laughs> it's like every interview I do is touches along similar themes, so it's not really not really that big a deal. Thanks to everyone who came and to O'Hara's Beers and Penguin Original Clothing for their support, as well as Aer Lingus, who looked after US Murph royally. You're smiling away there, Ken. No, just just memories. You're lost in lost in memories there. Yeah. yeah, we'll be delivering a ton of great recordings and footage from Liberty Hall throughout this week on the World Service. If you're not already a member, it's five euro a month plus VAT. It only takes a couple of minutes on secondcaptains.com. And if raucous end-of-year live sports chat isn't going to do it for you, well, we also had a Gaelic football playing none and an ultramarathon running second row forward on the pod last week. So there's plenty <laughs> wow, of variety there. There was a bit of variety last week. Not a bad weekend for the Irish teams in Europe. Gordon Darcy's here to talk about it. Thanks for popping in, Gordon. How are you? And Shane, I think, is good to go. Shane, how are you? Yeah, very good, thanks. Four from four in Europe, Gordon. All 
none of the games were gimmies and a couple of them were big wins three of them away from home as well we might as well start with Leinster because Exeter hadn't lost a game at home in a year runaway leaders of the Premiership was that one of the one of the great away European performances by Leinster is that maybe putting it in too high a bracket I think it's probably putting it in too high a, high a bracket I think this Leinster team is um, is in a position where that is not that surprising I don't think there's too many people waking up this morning going you know that's one of the all time great Leinster performances really really impressive defensive shift um, and tactically I think you're probably looking at the difference between uh, Sexton and uh, Steenson as the as the uh, as, as the difference Well is that saying something about where Leinster are now then that y- you wouldn't you wouldn't see that as anything particularly out of the ordinary for them to go to beat a team who have a loss at home for a year um, Yeah I suppose you had it been much more of a um, a, a tete battle, maybe you might have put it into it. But it is a group stage battle. There's, um, and this team has been delivering. So uh, you know, it just I, not that it's it's far from running the mill, but I don't think it's at the upper upper echelons of the uh, of of the performances. It was a it was a. It's a really cold day. It was thing, but the pack delivered the defensive pressures from Leinster. You can see their defensive systems growing. That competition in their back row really starting to deliver performances. And again, you can't overplay how um, well Johnny Sexton is playing. Shane, what did you make of it? Um, I thought it was the kind of performance that uh, the players and the management would be really happy about, um, especially more than anything, just getting the points. But you know, from a, a commentator's or a fan's perspective, you're looking at it slightly differently, and it, it's, it wasn't one that really you know grabbed you. But I think you, uh, as you rightly pointed out, there, Owen, it's maybe because expectations are so high. Um, I think if you do go through the d- two teams. Uh, you, you do look at the individual players. There are, you know, I think there's a quite a difference between the two sides. Uh, saying that Exeter are, are haven't been beaten for a year at home. Uh, they're top of the table and have been uh, performing consistently. But my expectation was that Lens would win. Uh, they nearly won um, at ease because if a couple of things had gone right in that first half, um, I think we may have seen them, um, you know, Exeter crumble a little bit. Credit to Exeter, they they kept their shoulder to the wheel and and made it tight. But it always seemed really comfortable uh, for Leinster. Uh, they never felt as if, even when when Exeter scored the try, which was kind of a defensive, a couple of defensive mistakes from Leinster. You never felt Leinster were particularly stressed um, by the Exeter attack. I did think the Exeter defence was exceedingly good, as good as I've seen, um, you know, maybe of any side this year. Um, because Leinster were firing in that first half, and and they were very very they were comfortable in lar- for large parts of it. Uh, extra where their de- defensive system, especially around the ruck, their spacing was really really strong, and their work in the backfield was exceptional as well. Um, so they very often had you know thirteen in the line. They didn't overcommit to rooks. They often had thirty in the line. Their back three was working ex- exceedingly hard, so there wasn't actually that much space in the backfield to kick into. And it was an area I was looking at quite a bit. I thought, you know, because of the extra line speed, I thought there has to be space in behind. But the work that was being done by the back three was exceptional. Uh, the line speed, the up, uh, sort of the arc in, was making things very difficult for Leinster. But there's a couple of uh, elements of Leinster's game as well that they won't be happy with, and they'll want to develop out for for next week and, and later on in the tournament. Shane, I suppose what I was really impressed by and noticed most of all, like Lancaster has added all these flourishes and there's lots of creative players and explosive players, but 
that Leinster outworked a team that are known especially for how hard they work. And Exeter, I think, made 222 tackles in the game. But Leinster, you could see, say, when Sean Cronin went off for the yellow card, uh, the likes of Henshaw and Issa and McFadden, like, they, they, their work rate actually went up for those 10 minutes. I know it kind of has to when you go a man down, but it was really noticeable how guys just want to get involved in the game. I thought McFadden typified that in that he's out in the wing. Um, he's a guy who always seems to max the ability that he has. He just wants to be involved in everything. He scampers around the place, makes big hits, and, and just looks active at all times. Yeah, for someone who hasn't played a huge amount of rugby in the last, really, you know, I suppose the last year, um, and hasn't nailed down a place in the side at a time when there has uh, been an a influx of, of really impressive uh, wingers coming into the squad. First of all, Fadden was exceptional yesterday. Uh, his work rate, as you said, in the backfield was huge. You know, in particular, we remember the second half, you know, covering, uh, I, I must be 60 metres to catch a, a, a kick through on the full uh, and then start up attacking uh, emotions straight away. You know, trying to get involved in everything. Exactly what you would want from a winger. He did, it was a very Joe Smith like performance. It's exactly what he would have wanted from his wingers. Basics really good, very strong in contact, brilliant in the air, covering the backfield perfectly. You know, a really, really strong performance. And that was, uh, there was a lot of those type performances throughout uh, the the the, uh, the side you know without anybody looking so incredibly incisive uh, that they were cutting up extra at will because you know extra had a good defense um i do think everybody looked you know quite efficient one area that I, like i do have a concern with Lancer when they and you know they were good in that they were retaining the possession really well i think we got up to 30 almost 40 phases at one stage you know you look at that in one way and you go oh brilliant isn't that incredible retention and the fact that they finished off with the try you know, probably would, would you know <laughs> that would lead other people to say this point of mine isn't valid but i think you're right on how hard they work but i sometimes think they work too hard uh, in that they um they make things very difficult for themselves when they set up that uh, three carriers off the nine and they go to a you know a first or a second receiver there that pod is always stationary you know or you know very very often stationary and we're seeing when you do have a stationary um carrier that who's passed the ball then runs and takes it into contact it does give a lot of the um it allows for a more dominant hit from the uh, defence. It allows them to get off the line faster. It makes it very difficult um, for the Leinster team to move the ball wide. And I also think we need to speed up our movement. Uh, Leinster need to speed up their pass from nine a little bit. We can be a little bit ponderous there, waiting for that pod to get in place instead of hitting someone coming around uh, the corner on a, on a run that is bringing real momentum into the, into the uh, contact. I just think sometimes Leinster can be a bit too formulated like that. And when you come up against an organised defence like Le- uh, Exeter had, uh, it makes things a little bit too easy for them. And when you come up against the bigger packs, uh, which they will do later in the, in the tournament, the, that can really suck any momentum out of uh, out of what you're trying to do. And it also uh, prevents you from doing the uh, the loop play or the or the switch play from the phase afterwards because it's a real momentum uh, sucker. Gordon, do you agree with some of those concerns? Um, yeah. You know, but nothing happens in a in a vacuum. You know, the 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 rook that you're playing those uh, three carriers off, you know, that can dictate how much momentum they can get into it. And you know, I think there's there's a case for both arguments in that. Sometimes you just have to keep the ball and just have. It's better. It's easier to do attack than it is to to defend. Um, 
it, it, kind of before going into this, these two games, I actually thought this was going to be the, uh, and I think the weather kind of kind of scuppered this, but I thought it was going to be the the back to back of the of of the competition. Is you have two teams who effectively are built the same way. They're built on culture. They're built on the sum of their parts being bigger than any other individuals in a in a, in in, a, in another team. And they both like to attack, and Leinster rediscovered that attacking uh, appetite now under, under under Stuart Lancaster. And interesting, Shane was saying, looking at their team, and I said, "Well, you know, it's still the same group of players that's undefeated and won the, you know, give or take that won the uh, won won the championship uh, in 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 or the Premiership." But I think what it does highlight is that Leinster now have stars in their team that maybe weren't there two, three seasons ago who are buying into the whole where I'm, you know, first and foremost I'm a, I'm a cog in this wheel and I'm going to do this, this. but there are little opportunities for these guys to shine and Ty Furlong probably epitomises that. We're used to seeing Sean O'Brien doing that but now we have Scott Fardy who's doing really well. You've any one of the back rows you want to throw in there. You've got Robbie Henshaw, Gary Ringrose. So you know what you have almost is a, you know a perfect uh, alignment for for Leinster. You have these guys who have the potential, and this for me was what you know maybe to kind of sum up how Leinster's performance differentiated uh, against Exeter's was. You have these guys who are willing to park the me for the team, but then will at certain you know one or two decisive moments in a game show that star quality that uh, can be the difference. And, and I think that's for me anyway. That's 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 what Leinster are building at the moment. I was interested, Shane, to hear one of Leo Cullen's comments post-match. It was, it was mostly the usual stuff in this situation where he's bigging up Exeter and the challenge and the, the different type of game it's going to be next week, all that kind of stuff. But he did also say it's always difficult for a team who have a lot of hype about them as well. Do you think that maybe that was part of the problem for Exeter, that, that, that there's been a bit of hype around them? No, I don't really... I suppose, what would the hype mean? Would it mean that they're forced to play a, a, a way then, a different way than they're comfortable with? I don't think that's the case. I think they play, of all teams, I think they're very uh, comfortable with um, how, with their system and um, and they're very... Yeah, they and, and they perform it you know, generally really well. So I don't think there was... They were playing a type of game plan that they weren't used to. I think they were playing... Their game plan that was a, that can be a very effective in the Premiership, but actually wasn't particularly effective against a really well organised defensive system in uh, Leinster. Other than a couple of individual errors uh, out wide that uh, you know that, that allowed them to ha- have decent line breaks, but you know aside from that, I thought Leinster looked incredibly comfortable uh, with Exeter playing their normal way. Um, you know, maybe not quite as incisive as, the, as they can, but. I think the other thing that we can recognise from this weekend is that you know Premiership rugby, you know, is is at a level that um, isn't dominant over a Pro 14 by any manner of means. I think where we saw you know the, the best teams in in uh, the um, Pro 14 performing exceptionally well, and and it may be a, a case of, of the Premiership teams having to think again about well, if you're if you're coming to to take on the, the Pro 14, then you've got to, got to deliver the top, top end. It's it's not about playing passive rugby and waiting for the opposition to make a, a mistake. It's about breaking them down uh, with tactical nous and, and uh, clinical play. And um, Exeter were unable to do that uh, against uh, against a really well-organised Leinster um, defence. And the old standard bearers for English rugby certainly don't look up to it these days. Gordon Leicester were fairly abysmal. And it was, we might as well jump straight into Matt O'Connor's juicy post-match quotes 
a former coach of yours. He accused Jerome Garcez of allowing Munster to play cynical rugby. But he also suggested that Andrew Conway was responsible for Toulouse Vianu's broken jaw. If people didn't see this, Conway's chasing a kick. Uh, the Leicester player gathers it and the two of them, I mean, it's, it seemed pretty accidental, the collision, but both of them came out of it pretty badly. After the match, he says, Conway smashed him in his face with his head. You saw it, I saw it. There's a duty of care there, isn't there? And then after that, the print journalists actually followed him into the corridor to follow up just to be sure that they were getting the right end of the stick. And he was very clear. Well, he said, look, one guy's got a broken jaw. That's what I'm annoyed about. Surely there's a duty of care. How is it not a high tackle when he clashed heads and smashed him in his face with his head? We're going on about seatbelt tackles, which are a non-event. And a bloke here has got a broken jaw. Yeah, um, I think maybe Matt was... uh was maybe setting the um, setting the uh, the the scene for um, Mourinho going into the uh, Man City <laughs> changing room. Um, the both both coaches have now done something completely. You know, this is a this is what everybody's talking about. Is what what Matt O'Connor said, and that. and it kind of does it take away from what happened on the pitch. You know, it arguably does, and is that maybe. Um, a good manager doing something or a good coach doing something say, well, let's deflect away from this performance. I'm going to take a little bit of this attention here. I, is that his style? You know the guy a bit? Is, um, is, will, yeah. Have you done much of that with Leinster? Uh, yeah, well, I think he had other battles to fight in, uh, in in Leinster, so I don't think there was as much of that. I don't think he got too many of those performances either. Um, you know, he's probably... You know, it's it's hard to it always it always is a danger to look inside a, a coach's head. But I, to me, from the outside, that just looked immediately. It was just uh, you know calling. There didn't really seem to be many contentious decisions in the, in the game to try and stir up a little bit of a thing. And for journalists to be following him into the corridor, you're going, okay, well they're going to write about this, not maybe about the annihilation of the podcast presenters. Are they going to ask about that yeah, first? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> rather than about the match itself. Not yeah. a, not about the annihilation of the. Leicester tied five by a Munster tied five. Well, it was a point I was going to raise, Shane, that he, he, clearly this kind of stuff, well, maybe it is just a clever tactic that I have fallen for hook, line and sinker, or maybe it's just that he was, like, even at half time, his body language, he looked like a guy who just couldn't work out what was going on out on the field, obviously annoyed about how, how his team were playing. Maybe he did feel aggrieved by some of the refereeing decisions. Did, did he, does he have any points at all with regards to Conway and, and that particular tackle? No, I think it's, it's it's so far off the mark to be almost ridiculous. And um, I, I think it, I can only assume that is some sort of tactic to, to move away, not just from his own players' performance, but from, you know, his preparation of the team uh, was, was, was really poor. And they were annihilated by Munster um, almost in every aspect of the game. Um, but that said, I thought Munster were phenomenal. You know, I thought they were really exceptional. One of the best performances I've seen from them uh, for a very, very long time. Um, their canniness at the breakdown was brilliant, and they did slow the ball down, but they slowed the ball down, I think, generally, legally, um, identifying that um, Leicester were a bit light and rooks. And Leicester, it was almost like they, ex- they had done a bit of analysis before the game and said, well, we're going to, or not done a bit of analysis before the game and said, we're going to play uh, the rook game as we might play at the Premiership or against other sides. And we, you know, that'll be fine if we just stick one man in or even two men, uh, two men in. And um, once we said, actually, you know what, if we think you're light, we're going to play numbers into that rook and we're going to blow you off the ball. We're going to make things very difficult. We're going to slow up your ball. We're going to chase through. We're going to make sure your nine um, isn't relaxed on the ball. 
you know, the nine, Young had a, had a really poor game. His passing wasn't great. A lot of it was inside shoulder. And then that was shipped out a pass further for someone who's a really good passer in Ford. His passing game was poor. The kicking game was poor. Their chasing game was poor. There's not too many more elements of the game. Um, to, that you can you can mess up in, and I don't want to be too you know ne- uh, too negative towards Leicester, even though I thought they were they were almost shambolic, um, because Munster were brilliant in, in what they were doing. Uh, again, the analysis of what you know what Munster can do against what um, Leicester can do was was shown for that Zebo try. Again, they tried to put more uh, people in the in the front line. They tried to stick, you know, th- I think it was thirteen in the front line defence. They hadn't covered the backfield, and their expectation was, oh, they'll just play through phases and and will comfortably be dominant around the tackle and be able to put pressure on them then. But no, they had more quick thinking than that. They probably analysed them better than that. They put in executed a perfect kick that uh, there was no one in the backfield uh, to uh, to cover, and they scored a try from that. And that loosened up the defence for later on in the game as well. So there was just they were really out out thought, uh, and their coach was. So he's talking about something that was so ridiculous as as Andrew Conway, you know, knocking himself out in the act of of unfortunately breaking another player's jaw. I think you know it was the, one of the most accidental things that you could come across on, on a rugby field, and and I think he is deflecting from a really you know from from a troubling performance tactically and and uh, and from the players' point of view. And Gordon, I thought Van Cran couldn't come at this any better really he didn't say much in opposition to what O'Connor was saying he had thought O'Connor and the Leicester team obviously he's come in mid-season he's had very little preparation time it's his first head job uh, or job as head coach and the fact that they won it so emphatically playing good tight rugby good open rugby it relaxes him it takes a bit of pressure off for next week he can afford to lose a game later on in the in this table maybe or in this group rather and like for him coming out of that weekend it changes so many things for him and dynamics going into the second game, etc. Yeah, I think it, you're probably looking at it from his point of view. Right, looking at it, I'd say he uh, he stood back a lot from that performance and I'd say he let the key influencers in the group and you know, Peter Omani, CJ Stander, Felix, uh, Jerry Flannery, you know, what was he, how was he, he, didn't, he doesn't even know these people yet. How was he going to be able to um, create that emotive performance. I think probably the best thing he could have done, and it looks like what he has done, is to step back and go, well, there's systems in place here. There's people who know what to say and how to say it. Um, and I'm going to let them do this, and I'm going to control the bits that I can influence here. And maybe that was tactically a little bit um, <clears throat> about scouting where there was certain little bit of weaknesses. Is it? Um, I'm putting that in and getting Ian Keatley into a, into a position that he looked... Uh, really comfortable and looks, um, you know, very very early to say, but you know, hopefully that's the sign of things to come. And Ian Keatley under a coach, um, and we can always see the the interactions between your ten and the coach. Um, if that's a harmonious relation, can they get a, um, an extra little bit out of them? So what Pat Lamb did with um, the guys in Connacht, and seeing what Joe has done with Johnny. So look, there's a there's a, a potential for a great rela- uh, relationship there. Um, and f- you know, sometimes you can get. Um, you know, Shane has very eloquently put how bad Leicester were. I think um, part of that was how impressive the Munster tight five were, were, which freed up their back row to run effectively right around the, around the field. Um, Peter Romani had a had a similar um, influence on the game, 
you know, as that leader and as a as a as a as an individual, you know, potentially uh, with that English performance in the Six Nations earlier this year, and CJ um, again delivering and. Uh, I'm going to get his name wrong now, but uh, Chris Clute. Clute, thank yeah. you. <laughs> I got his name wrong last week, or that's, that's why right. I was fresh, um, fresh in my mind. I could I could have spelt it if that if that helps. <laughs> yeah. Please don't ask me to spell it. Um, he was he um, was the genuine number seven, and and uh, you could see the difference that that made. There's a bit of a, a bit of Michael Hooper, but he kind of looks a bit like Hooper. It's just his build and and the way he plays. He reminds straight away. He reminds me of him. Yeah, and I think just the the. How they went at the rooks, I thought, was really interesting. And Shane, um, rightly talking about the lack of numbers and a very premiership way of uh, of playing that. And you can draw an easy parallel from Danny Kerr getting knocked back on his uh, on, on his ass uh, more than once in the in the Ulster game at the weekend. And you know that's you know probably is a, a good point that you know when, when we played Northampton in Northampton, we tore, took them apart, we dismantled them, and it was you're kind of looking at them going, you know, this is. You know, this is this is a. Um, we did it away from home. Now we've got them at home. This is a this is an easy return game, and we got absolutely taken apart. A lot can happen in uh, in six or seven days, and I think there's enough experience in all the in all the uh, provincial teams to realise that it's a job half done. Um, and some of the some of the some of the games probably have a little bit more. Um, uh, potential for a banana skin than, than others. Yeah, and I guess one of them might be Ulster's return match. It was a hell of a performance out the weekend, Shane, particularly given the criticisms of that Ulster team so far this season. This was a match given in the, the form they had coming into yeah, it. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah, criticisms that are that are probably fair enough. You know, they're they're not not seen as a team that has a pack that can do any damage, and yet they go away to a Premiership team, horrible conditions, and manage to get the job done. Yeah, it was kind of almost what you'd expect a little bit from this Ulster team at the moment. You know, they have the capacity to you know deliver, you know, really high-end performances, but you know, at the same time, they have, you know, you think there's every opportunity that they could potentially lose that game next week. You know, so in, until they start building up some level of consistency, we're not going to have a trust in the, in this Ulster outfit. I think it's fair enough to say as well now that their their players, uh, you know, as a as a group, particularly their pack, you know, isn't really um at the standard or they don't have certainly the names that either Leinster or, or Munster have. So, you know, they need to be um more of a, you know, more of a really combined unit and they need to get the ball out to their best players as often as they can. Now, that's difficult uh, given the, the con- atrocious conditions they played out over the weekend. But, you know, Cooney kick well. And, you know, we're again end up talking about Stockdale, who, you know, I'm sort of frightened. I'm almost talking about this guy and, and another couple of players that are coming through for Ireland at the moment too much and with too much excitement because they're still young. and and But they just seem to have so much um, potential and, and are so exciting and it's making Irish rugby fun at the moment. And all three provinces, you know, have players like that. Um you know, if we see Ulster, you know, deliver a performance next week, you know, they'll bring a bit of momentum into, um, you know, the Christmas season, and and you know, I also think that they need to deliver a couple of wins over that period. But until then, and and you know, until they they increase the level of consistency in their performance, um, I think we're going to remain doubtful about about them. You know, either winning anything in the in the Pro 14 or, or competing at the at the real serious business end of of the um, Champions Cup. What do you reckon, Gordon? What's the most that Ulster could achieve this year? Yeah, the, 
this game kind of changes their whole dynamic in Europe. They very well might get into quarters, uh, depending on the result this week. But, you know, and uh, as odd as it is for a back to continually talk about a tight five, I just think in the modern game, the ability, you know, Shane's talking earlier about the, um, you know, those, the three, three forward carriers off the, off the nines, how important it is to generate forward uh, momentum. And uh, invariably that is coming from your tight five. Either it's through carries or it's through uh, quality clean out. Rory Best and Ian Henderson are swimming against a tide for, for Ulster. The players around them, they, there's only so much that they can... What is, and, you know, you're using the uh, analogy of Leinster and uh, Exeter and the, some of the parts and the greater performance. There's only so much those two guys can make up for inadequacies in elsewhere in, in, in that tight five. And as a collective, as a unit, they're not they're not at a, at a, at a challenging uh, level for me. Um, and then, you know, when you get into a back row... Um, Kind of, you know, you can look at from the All Blacks, the South Africans. You look at Leinster. You look at Munster, particularly at the weekend. When a back row is that dominant in a field, it's usually a good indication of how well your tight five is doing because they don't really have to do a huge amount of grunt work. Um, and you just look at particularly the Munster and Leinster, and like look at the even the competition for places there now. But the influence they have directly on the outcomes of matches is really, uh, really impressive. I, I wouldn't say the same about Ulster. Um, and um, so, regardless of how well their tight five is doing or how poorly is they're doing, the 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 back row seems to be seems to be you know almost just present in games, which is not really something you want to play, say it because I think in the modern game the back row has probably become the most influential position. Um, obviously, it's out here you're nine and ten, but one of the in, most influential uh, positions in the in, in the pitch. So I don't think Ulster are going to do a huge amount this year. I think uh, Les Kiss is trying to effectuate a change up there. And I wouldn't say it's being openly um, welcomed. But they haven't, been, they haven't done anything really. They had a couple of times where you know, they looked like the stars were going to align. We had Ferris coming back for that last few games in the game and obviously Payne getting a red card. And that kind of, it looked like that was going to be their time when they played Leinster in the, in the Heineken final. It looked like this was going to be what kick and just has always been. So something isn't right there and it, you know, it does look like they're trying to change that. What, what makes you say it hasn't been welcomed Les Kiss's changes? Um, well, it just doesn't, it just doesn't seem like, because I, I know, I know Kissy really well from his defensive uh, ideas, but particularly from his attack ideas and when he was in with that, had that brief stint as the, as the attack coach in with Ireland, I just like the way he visualises the game and he adapts that league uh, um, into the practicalities of the, of the rugby union. I haven't seen any of that. What I've seen is some individual brilliance and that Stockdale and drinking from the Stockdale uh, <laughs> Kool-Aid um, playing off Pieto and, yeah. um, you know, John Cooney. It just, it, it's more individual rather than uh, systematically creating opportunities for people to excel. It just seems to be out of nowhere something happens and you're just like, oh, this is incredible. But there's been no build-up to it. sustainable, yeah. Yeah. Shane, just a word on Connacht before we go. They were 19 points down in the Challenge Cup against Breve to get the win. Amazing result. Have they got a decision to make now? They're three wins from three in Europe and could conceivably target this competition now and you know maybe at the expense of the Pro 14. 
Um, I don't think they have to make a decision yet on that. Um, you know, what, what massive changes are they going to make to their um, the sides that they put out in the Pro 14 that is going to, that's going to hugely benefit them in this competition? They'll want to keep their players um, fresh to some degree, yes, but they'll also want to keep them um, you know, div- um, delivering momentum by performing consistently well at uh, a Pro 14 and I don't think that they're the kind of side that have like this group of special players that they need to keep wrapped up in cotton wool and then can you know deliver a, a huge performance, um, a, a one-off performance in the in the in Europe. I think they need to have a a pretty solid unit who are consistently performing well in the Pro 14, delivering um, good performances. You know, you don't always have to be winning. I think you know the their 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 year as champions is an anomaly. Um, that's not the expectation. That's not where they sit. Uh, have sad since. Um, but what they do have is they have the experience of winning a cup, and that is invaluable. And it you know it, it gives an ambition and a, a confidence that um, that you just that is very hard and is very hard to come by. And no matter how decent you get on or how how strong your winning run is, if you actually don't ever deliver a cup, then um, it's very hard to, um, to 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 have a full confidence going into a, another season. And I think that you can do it. So they will know that that's something that will be, a, you know, a great target for them. Something that will be um, that they're capable of winning. But I don't think it means divorcing themselves from the domestic competition, and it doesn't allow them a free pass. And it doesn't allow us to give them a free pass by saying that they can and they can uh, they can dial in any performance they want in the Pro 14 because all eyes are on um, their European, um, you know, potential to win a trophy there. The, both of those things will come hand in hand. They'll have more potential to win Europe if, they, uh, if they're performing consistently in the Pro 14. Yeah, sounds fair enough. Shane, Gordon, brilliant stuff. Thanks, Emil. Thank you. Thanks, Emil. Timbuktu. They're all pumped. We haven't got leaders. They're all just headphones. They don't communicate. You can't get anything out of them. That's why we're no good. They're all just headphones. They don't communicate on the pitch. They don't communicate off the pitch. They're all pampered. Oh, we're getting ready for Russia. Good luck. And then after that, we'll be building a team for Timbuktu. Timbuktu. How have England reacted to that equaliser? Perfectly. Um, no panic. Calm straight down. Continue dominating the game, playing and staying in Iceland's hearts. It's been the perfect response. You'd think that no problem. The only thing that they have got is the big boy up front, Sigurdsson, who really, Sigthorsson. Oh, oh my word. Oh. Tell us, talk us through that, Steve. I think we know what's happened. Oh, we'll just say, Sigthorsson. <laughs> just cannot. Oh, the wintry weather outside has gotten its icy claws into the rugby this weekend. Leinster are stuck in Bristol. 
well, they couldn't get home their flight from Bruce. I don't know if that's where they are exactly, but they're presumably going to be doing some training over there. Saracens Claremont is being played maybe around now. Depends when you're listening to this podcast. 5.30 p.m. today, Monday. Claremont are fuming about this. Couldn't be played yesterday. I think they accepted that's fine. They were told then it was going to be, happen at 2 o'clock this afternoon. It ends up happening at half five. They haven't been involved in any of these negotiations. They just keep being told different things according to themselves. And they say, I don't know if this is just lost in translation, but they believe the entire situation has seen their fans treated as vulgar toys. That's the that's the Google Translate <laughs> it anyway. sound like a very good translation. <laughs> no. yeah. Not the only competition that's been battling the elements, Murph. No. Uh, we lost out on the other Ireland club quarterfinal between Currafin and Fulham Irish, which is due to be played in London. Um yesterday. We also lost out on the Leinster Club Championship Final between uh, St. Lomans of Westmead and Moorfield of Kildare. Um, you know, though, I was watching the NFL last night and I couldn't help but think, hmm, you know those guys over there, I mean, say what you like about the Americans. They do. They are better equipped to handle a, a little bit of snow during a, a sporting event. I was watching the Buffalo Bills well, I say I was watching. I mean, I've watched six minutes of highlights on YouTube. Either way, on I'm now up to date with You're what happened to in that game. Okay. Yes, between the Buffalo the Bills photos are right, yeah. and the Indianapolis Colts, uh, it the the game was won in overtime by the home team Buffalo Bills, and uh, I've started tracking the the Buffalo fan reaction to this win, and it was this is one of the best days we've had in a long, long time because the snowfall was. Biblical. Was there any snow in the in the Bible? Probably not. But it was unprecedented. I mean, I've never seen a sporting event take place where the snow was. It was. It was an actual a torrent of snow. Yeah. And at the break of every play, they came out with uh, kind of leaf blowers, snow blowers, to mark out the yard lines. I mean, that is kind of important in American football. I mean, I don't know how you go about playing American football. Uh, without knowing where the hell in the field you happen to be. Um, but this, it was outrageous. Hilarious. And there's a photograph that we're going to tweet out once the show is up of a Buffalo Bills fan in the middle of all this. He's not alone, I should say. I mean, there are quite a few people in the stadium. But, I mean, he's got six inches of snow covering his entire body. Covering him and underneath him. I mean, at some stage, I suppose you just said there is no point they in don't brushing do, this off. They don't do the covered stadium idea in, in Buffalo? No, not in Buffalo. There, I mean, there's a bit of it. But Why would you want a covered stadium with it for a sport that takes place... In the winter in... In a North. really harsh winter. Yeah, I know. <laughs> every single year. Yeah. Well, there are quite a few uh, closed roof stadia. I think maybe tomorrow, uh, yesterday's events might give people in Buffalo pause for thought when building their next stadium. All right, I'm going to give you guys one more taste of the kind of stuff we'll be dishing up on the World Service this week from Liberty Hall. It was, as I said, a monumental, epic two-night stint, especially by US Murph. Say hello to our listeners, everybody! Great job! Hey, hey, the gang's all here. We're going to swing as one. He has used this national anthem thing. He's turned this national anthem thing into a. I mean, it, it was you know it was a thing for a while, and now he's made it into you're either with us or against us. Why do you think he has a fucking national anthem played at games anyway? I don't understand. Like if if America was playing, then okay. But it's like 
two teams, you know, as part of a corporate league. So wh wh why? When do they start doing that? Once again, the flamethrower uh, of truth right here, right? <laughs> truth has been thrown. burned too badly there. You remind me of something earlier on, Murph. Our interview with Killian O'Connor. I can't remember who I was talking to, and I apologise to that person right now, but somebody was talking to Killian just before going on stage. Maybe it was US Murph, I'm not sure, and he was about to be called on, and he said, sorry, gotta go, it's Curse O'Clock. <laughs> or something, it was something along those lines, yeah. I think, yeah. Uh, we did, but we didn't mention the curse. I don't know if, yeah, well, we, we didn't. I mean, <laughs> because it doesn't exist. Uh, and didn't exist until, like, 1994 or something. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I hope that there's uh, a gag going around the Mayo dressing room that every time, just before they do an interview, they all say it's curse o'clock, which is their way of saying I have to go talk to the press now. <laughs> Thanks, Murph. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, 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 Thanks again. Thanks, Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.